Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira Lachlan and I'm joined today by Aoife O'Brien. On today's show, we discuss the scaremongering going on outside Ireland's newest abortion clinics, DCU's referendums on supporting Palestine and decriminalising drugs, and having DCU as a smoke-free campus. We will also be hearing from the part-time candidates for DCU student unions and be asking students if they will be voting in the election. But first, we're going to take a look at the news over the past hour. Good afternoon, I'm Kira O'Loughlin. Evacuation. The Department of Health was evacuated this afternoon after the discovery of what turned out to be a non-hazardous white powder. RIP tributes have been paid to Progedy frontman Keith Flint, who has died aged 49. Boris Johnson, the Tory MP, has been criticised after suggesting that the soldiers involved in Bloody Sunday could be charged with murder for political reasons. Enda Kenny, the Office of the Data Protection Commission, has said that it categorically had never been lobbied by the former Taoiseach or his office, amid claims that Kenny offered to use Ireland's position to lobby on behalf of Facebook on EU data legislation. Case closed. A security officer who turned out his pockets and had his carry-on luggage searched by police on a plane following an alleged theft at Dublin Airport has lost his €75,000 claim for defamation of character. This is Clara Castlin reporting for Newswire. Abortion in Ireland is regulated by the Health Act 2018 and is permitted during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy and later in cases where the pregnant woman's life or health is at risk or in the case of a fatal-fetal abnormality. The Minister for Health has said the need for access zones outside of health centres providing abortion care is a priority after it was revealed that American anti-abortion groups are planning operations in Ireland. An undercover report for the Times Ireland edition found an American anti-abortion group was training protesters to approach women seeking terminations as well as urging activists to phone doctors pretending to seek an abortion to find out which health centres were performing the procedures. They revealed sidewalk advocates for life will target women including rape victims and couples who have gone through fatal fetal abnormalities. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar wrote on social media that women did not deserve to be intimidated for accessing medical care. I spoke to Hannah Dowling who had an abortion in 2015 when it was illegal here. She travelled to England. I asked her what the process was like for her, what her thoughts are about these anti-abortion organisations protesting outside of clinics and if she received any aftercare. Here's what she had to say. I think basically as a country, I don't think we were particularly ready for it. I think in terms of progressing as a country, it's great that we have it legalised. Um, and for the likes of people that are pro-choice, it's it's brilliant in terms of that. But I just think as a country, we're still very much a Catholic Ireland. And I think predominantly it's, I don't think we're really ready for it at this stage, just for those types of reasons. I think there's a lot of people that will protest against it still, making it harder for those who have to go through it. It's quite difficult, as you can imagine, like having to go to a different country for something like that is is traumatic in itself, um, aside from the actual trauma of having to go through the procedure. And it's very kind of secretive, I found, like when, um, when I went to try and get support, like I was given numbers to call and they were all kind of urging me not to get an abortion instead of actually counselling me through the actual process itself. I found it quite difficult to, I suppose, find out information essentially. 
I don't think that's fair. I think initially, like, it's a very difficult thing for any woman to have to go through. I don't think any woman makes the decision lightly. I think it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult state of mind that you're in as a woman. I think people standing outside clinics, it's just, number one, making it more difficult for the people that have to go through it. And realistically they're not kind of achieving anything because they all kind of stand for one a one-sided argument which is i suppose the religious side of things and the pro-life side of things the majority of people that are pro-life seem to have quite a strong faith i think that seems to be the thing i think people that are pro-life if they didn't have such a strong faith they might be a little bit more open to to choice everybody is entitled to their own opinion i do feel that i just don't feel that it's right that people make it so much marginalized and you know promoted to the point of you know hurting people's feelings if you take cancer for example if you have to go through cancer there's people out there that are against chemotherapy but you don't see people outside hospitals protesting against chemo there is no aftercare um, in Ireland for the likes of myself who had an abortion um, back in 2015. Um, there was no aftercare available to me and there was no aftercare available from the clinic that I had the abortion in. They didn't try and contact me and ask me had I had any aftercare or do I need any support even through the telephone or anything like that. But that's changing now, which is good. We're moving up in the world. Along with SU elections, students will also be asked to vote in three referendums this campaign season. The first one being on whether students think DCU-SU should look at the possibility of a smoke-free area around DCU. DCU is one of very few Irish universities which has no smoke-free areas on campus. UCD, Trinity and UL have all begun the process of going tobacco-free. Athlone IT and most recently ITC are completely smoke-free campuses. The second referendum that students will be asked to vote on is if DCUSU should advocate for a boycott of important goods goods from Israeli settlements. The boycott, devisement and sanction BDS movement seeks to place international pressure on Israel to advance the rights of Palestinians. The exact wording of what students will be asked is, do you think DCUSU should adopt a stance in active solidarity with Palestine by aligning the union with all Palestinian calls for BDS? Those in favour should vote yes and those against should vote no. DCU Students for Justice in Palestine Society, also known as SJP, campaigned for this re- referendum and were successful. Chairperson of SJP Stephanie O'Toole told the College View that we currently don't know at the moment what DCU in particular is trading. She added that with regards to academics or institutions, We don't target identity or one academic in particular. It's all about complicity. Students for Sensible Drug Policy has launched a petition to hold a referendum in the university on the decriminalisation of drugs. The question they wish to be posed to students is, DCUSU shall actively support and campaign for the decriminalisation of the possession of drugs for personal consumption for adults age 18 and over in Ireland. To discuss this, I am joined today by Declan Moore, Chair for the DCU SSDP Society. So Declan, firstly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so do you mind just explaining to our listeners what de- drug decriminalisation means? So effectively, um, what happens when a country or a group take a, a stance of decriminalisation, um, basically they're, they're acknowledging that drugs um, are still illegal to possess and consume, but that we're taking the, the criminal pen- penalties away for uh, committing those those uh, 
crimes essentially. So you're not um, dealing with it through the justice system, but you're dealing with it as a civil issue and um, how we would uh, propose that be done is, is through the health service essentially. So you're, you're effectively dealing with drug use and drug possession as a health issue as opposed to a criminal justice issue. Okay, so it's very different to you, I think, from myself, from speaking to some people. They think that it means legalisation, which no, it, it doesn't. No, absolutely not. Um, so why do you think this model should be introduced in Ireland? I mean, um, we're seeing all over the world at the moment there are uh, campaigns uh, pushing for decriminalisation. Um, we've seen the benefits of it. Um, there's currently uh, 25 states around the world that have introduced decriminalisation over the past 20 decriminalisation over the past... 20 or so years. Um, the most popular or well-known of those would be the Portuguese model, which seems to be um, the most extreme of all the models of decriminalization. Um, effectively, what, what they did was they defined amounts um, of... of uh, they defined personal consumption amounts of most illicit substances, so I think it was uh, 5 grams for... Um, herbal cannabis um, and uh, one gram for heroin, things like that. So effectively, if somebody was caught with, the, with this amount or under, they would be dealt with um, through either issuing a fine or on repeat offences by forwarding them through a dissuasion committee, which would be led by health services. So they'd be offered uh, drug counselling um, and other services in, in, in the hopes that they would be able to engage with these services um, if they needed help in, in order to, um, you know, come off drugs or, or what have you. So, And I suppose one of the kind of downsides people were saying, you know, against decriminalising drugs is that maybe, you know, dealers could get around it somehow by maybe having, you know, more people and then giving them kind of small amounts of drugs so if they were caught they wouldn't be jailed. Do you think that happens or... What would you say about that? Um, I mean, I don't really think that that doesn't effectively happen already. Um, that okay. when somebody goes out, that they're already going out with the amount they intend to, to sell. I, I don't really think that that uh, does away with the fact that, that drug users are still being criminalized. We've decided that, that people who use drugs should receive criminal sanctions, uh, whether that's time in prison um, or, you know, a, a criminal record as a result of, of just using drugs, which many people have established, you know, is an, a byproduct of trauma. Um, you know, it, it, there isn't necessarily always a choice to, to using drugs like there is with committing violent crime or uh, distribution of, of, of narcotics. So uh, that's kind of where... where the argument for decriminalisation is, is is aiming for. So it's kind of just wanting to see it, wanting to see it as um, a healthcare issue as opposed to going through the justice system. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And do you think this model will be introduced in Ireland anytime soon? Like, what is the current kind of talks around it? Um, at the moment, um, there's uh, there was a working group. Um, taking place through uh, Junior Minister Catherine Byrne's office. Um, we're to receive the outcome of that report now in the, in the next uh, month or two. Um, and that's been in progress as far as I'm aware since June. Um, and they were basically si similar to the Citizens' Assembly, looking at um, the feasibility and validity of, of um, 
discussing such policies in Ireland. Um, now, there, there have been sort of informal uh, outcomes of this document made available. Um, I haven't had the chance to read through them entirely, and I'm kind of holding out to see what the, the final verdict of this working group are. But definitely, um, if you look at, at um, groups like Anna Liffey Drugs Project or Citywide, uh, both on, on their websites um, outline extensively the why decriminalisation um, would be feasible in Ireland and it's it's the perfect time for Ireland to to sort of lead the charge on this um, Anna Liffey maintained that by 2022 they're they're quite confident that we, we would have some form of decriminalization policy uh, drug policy uh, in in practice um, so no I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for sure Great. and you kind of talked about earlier how Portugal has the most what would you say is there uh, the most radical application of decriminalization there you I suppose. Go. yeah like <laughs> you've said it better than I have what other countries have some some forms of decriminalization then just bear with me there um so I mean from if if you look at citywide have actually done a case study themselves here so other European company countries that have effectively some form of model of decriminalization implemented um, would be Belgium. Croatia, the Czech Republic, Germany, Italy, and th these policies kind of kind of vary massively. They can be on a local level. They can be true, like law enforcement's own policies on how they deal with low-level street dealing or uh, finding uh, people using drugs on the streets and, and choosing to just confiscate rather than to to press charges against somebody. Um, so, I mean, on on individual cases. Uh, people should definitely sort of look up these individual countries but um, the Portuguese model is essentially across the entire country um, and I think that stemmed from um, where Portugal were in the late 90s in relation to their own heroin epidemic um, they had the, the highest number of uh, heroin users in Europe at the time with 1% of their population using heroin and it, 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 it sort of uh, impacted across all classes of society at the time like it was very widespread um, they had the highest drug overdose debt uh, we, there aren't uh, perfect figures on, on, on it for the 90s but estimates are around 360 um, overdose deaths per year in Portugal in the late 90s um, now that figure in 2016 came went all the way down to 27 um, and it was 40 the previous year so clearly we can see that you know there's been a, a huge reduction in in just the the, the overdose deaths that's that's yeah. the first one the the number of people who are alive today that might not have been had this policy not been enacted um, the other side of things is, as well is um, that the um, the rate of heroin use has dropped to um, by 75%, so there's 25,000 heroin users in Portugal now. Um, there, just, 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 uh, just a point on that. Portugal have a population that's approximately twice the size of Ireland. Just, just for comparison's sake, um, at the moment Ireland's uh, overdose rate is is the third or fourth highest in Europe over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we're we're more people died of an overdose in Ireland last year than died on our roads. So we're at a, a, a pretty crisis point here in terms of dealing with this and 
we can see that a, a, a neighbour of ours uh, effectively enacted a, a, a decriminalisation policy back in 2001, and I think we need something similar here now. And why do you think decriminalising? I mean, Portugal has shown that it has, you know, dropped the number in overdose deaths. Do you think the number of drug users has dropped, or just the number of people overdosing? Uh, absolutely, the, the, both, both. So there was a 75% reduction in the amount of drug users. So they had approximately oh, 100,000 drug users in um, the year 1999, it might be 98, um, and it's da down now at around 25 to 30,000. So, you know, it's, it's, it's seen a huge reduction. Now, those figures from today are actually from 2016. Uh, they're about two years time delayed on that. But, um, yeah, I mean... the. the Another, the the reason I think that that we see such a such a such positive outcomes from decriminalisation is essentially that uh, it's just another form of harm reduction, really, and it it encourages people who would be stigmatised and ostracised from their their communities to be able to partake in in, in services when they feel ready to. Um, and it, it really increases the chances that somebody is actually able to to turn things around for themselves, you know. And and that's that's clear as day, really, from from what's happened in Portugal. Um, what's really important to stress here, though, is is that simply decriminalize simply decriminalizing isn't isn't enough. It it is it is not just a case of tomorrow morning we wake up and you can you know, walk the streets of Dublin with a certain proportion of illicit substances and you won't get a criminal record. You, you need to reallocate the funds into the health service in order to deal with the issue itself, you know. So yeah. other, otherwise, you you know, we'll, we'll be right back to, to where we are now very shortly if, if we don't actually deal with the, the capital expenditure uh, correctly. Brilliant. And so what is the next step for the SSD, the DCU SSDP? So um, we've collected signatures and we've submitted them to the Students' Union in order to petition for a referendum to be held for um, basically the college to take a stance um, in support of decriminalization for personal use. And um, we're hoping that that will um, take place around the same time as the SU elections. Um, so we'll hopefully get some information about um, campaigning for that for that um, in the next couple of weeks, and um, really we're we're running this campaign in line with um, similar ones that uh, Anna Liffey, in conjunction with the London School of Economics and Hot Press, are running at the moment. Um, we're using Citywide as as a source of information and language for how we structure our campaign, and we also intend to. Um, to ask the, the um, nominees for SU elections about their stance and, and just get the students talking about the issue because it is um, certainly an issue that they, it, it essentially affects any, anyone who knows somebody who uses drugs and it, it, it caters to humanizing those people, whether they be somebody who's on campus or somebody who is in the depths of drug dependence, who has, you know, alienated themselves from the rest of society. Um, so essentially that's that's what we've got going on. And do you think the interest is there of students in DCU? Are, are most students aware of the situation? or? Um, I was very pleasantly surprised at um, 
how positively received we were when we were out collecting signatures for this campaign. Um, we managed to collect our entire quota, nearly 500 signatures in, in, in a single day walking the campus. Um, and overall, I, I, I think one or two percent of students that we approached um, ultimately were not interested in, in, in signing. So, I mean, everyone else, you know, so, some people had their reservations and we, we discussed uh, the notion of, of um, defining decriminalization and how it differs from legalization entirely um, and how we're trying to approach this from an evidence-based and health-led approach um, see, seeks to humanize and show compassion to other people, you know. Well, thank you so much for joining us brilliant, today, Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks uh, very much. We're going to take a quick ad break now, but make sure to stay tuned for the latest DCU news. DCU Student Union's part-time officers spoke at DCU's hustings last week as part of their election campaigns. Candidates spoke for two minutes about their manifestos and DCU students were given the opportunity to ask the candidates questions in relation to the positions. Voting will commence on DCU Loop from tomorrow, March 5th, and continue until March 7th. We've included some of the speeches from the candidates for the Humanities and Social Sciences, Clubs Officer, Societies Officer, and DCU Business School. To listen to the rest of the speeches, head over to our Instagram, DCU MPS News.
have allowed me to connect with the student body in a way that I feel is unparalleled. I love working in the SGM as part of the Welfare Group. It's important to emphasise that I'm running for rep with the best interests of DCU students in mind. I've been taking the concerns of humanities and social sciences students to lecturers, the CRC and the Student Star Forum throughout this year, and I think that proves that I'm not only here to listen, but to take action on your concerns. As your faculty rep, I'll be accessible to you. I have an open door policy, and that applies to the rep clinics and also to contacting me directly out of hours. The students are what make DCU, and with the biggest faculty comes a lot of responsibility. You guys are the ones that know best what you want, and I'm more than willing and more importantly capable of representing your interests in the student union. We have some of the brightest minds of a generation in our faculty. If you choose me as your rep, I'll be working to put on jobs and apprenticeship fairs to connect you to the people who call the shots in your industry, starting with media students and working from there until every industry sees the potential in DCU students. Not only do you never know when you need it, but first aid qualification is a transferable skill that makes you more employable. Choose me, and I'll be bringing trainers onto Plus Nevin and St. Pat's campuses to give you skills to bulk up your CV and also prepare you to take care of yourself and others. Especially if you've made like mine on a night out, especially if you've made like me on a night out. <laughs> I'm more than a set of ideas, so choose me as a person that will adapt to you. My name is Ty, and I'm asking you to trust me. Hi guys, good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Pima Carroll and uh, I'm a first year BCL law student. Um, I'm running for Humanities and Social Sciences faculty rep. Um, so after my manifesto, I have three main objectives, but I'll develop upon those after I mention a few things. So first of all, I really appreciate that I'm a first year student. So I haven't encountered all the issues that Humanities and Social Sciences students have in later years. So I want to assure you that I am open to prioritising pressing issues to face faculty. So I'm committed to representing the HSS as a whole and um, I aim to be flexible in my approach to, to accommodate for like, all students' needs. And with that said, honesty and transparency are also really core values of mine. Uh, I hope to run a campaign and hopefully to serve a term that relies on realistic, achievable goals that have a direct, positive influence on students' lives. Now to the objectives I referred to earlier. Firstly, as a past friend, I'd like to address the lack of convenient, affordable catering options for those students that commute to and from DCU. I'd like to explore the possibility of introducing pedals and microwaves for students who have breaks up to five hours. The facilities would, would allow for heating of pre-packed meals and avoidance of unnecessary expenditure. Secondly, as a rep, I'd like to develop upon the existing Erasmus options across the faculty. I would hope to look towards extending Erasmus policies and to offer students a wider range of opportunities. Finally, as faculty rep, I'd like to further the welfare, interests, and priorities of humanities and social sciences faculty and the entirety of DCU as a whole. By collaborating across the DSU with faculty officers and representatives alike, um, I hope to like, further the SU's presence. This year we've seen campaigns to save our chapter, but standing with nurses and midwives, and how powerful student forces can be. I want to utilise those powers to improve the experience of all students. So that's all, and it's great to put a face to this little logo. Uh, thank you all for
GUFO and such a great campus. And there's such a great vibe around here. That's why I love so much. I want to continue that work and also I want to work with the income of Vice President for welfare and equality to put on projects that continue to make this campus great. Four, socialising college life. College life, let me say. These new, new barriers are great, right? But I want to continue for every student to have a ball here, which I have had. I've grown myself so much. But we do need to take cautions. I want to promote awareness, work with campaign, give us tonight, and also let students know the safe home app, which is dear for our safety. There hasn't been enough on it. And what I would like, my reference position is I love these and I want you to love these two too. Two, I'm not only doing this for my CV. I haven't pushed my CV in two years. Don't even know what I said on it, you know what I mean? So, so I want to get this job done, I want to get in there, and let my wife be here. And they have seen over the past couple of years. Save our shepherd, Chanel Shadell, student voice being here. And I want my voice to be here, I want my back voice to be here. And that's why I want you to vote on the board on the 5th to 7th March video. Hashtag win with board. Thanks so much. Thank you very, very much. Um, my name is Hazel. 
single. I'm 21 and I'm a first year grade student. I know that's kind of all for a first year, but I originally was enrolled in another college, shock horror, but since my time at BCU, I've loved it so much, and that is why I'm running for a business faculty grant. So, my manifesto, I want to put the business students at the heart of it. So it's based on three things, communication, integration, and representations. So within communication, I would love to have informal meetings with everyone who's a business rep, like business class reps, and they can meet with whatever time. I feel like if we create a community and a network together, we can get any issues that business students have resolved really quickly. I would also love to have business-related events emailed to students on a bi-weekly basis or weekly basis. This is something I already do with my course, and I also email them when assignments are due, but that would be the word for carefully. But um, integration as well, I'd love to create a buddy system between Irish and international students. There's so many international students that come to the business faculty every year, and especially when I've been in groups with them, and we have a lot of group projects in business, and um, we work so well together, it's so good to learn from other cultures and different people, and they've been learning at different universities. I'd also love to work with societies to combine business with international events as well. Then representation, I'd love to support and represent all students that walk in through the business doors every day, create a stronger network with them. My most important point is having a student survey of teaching to be done halfway through each semester. At the end, it's way too late, and if students have any problems with lectures and that you're afraid to say anything, it's too late by the end of the semester when it's over. So I love to have it halfway through so that we can get any issues resolved really quickly. So best of luck to all the candidates, and thank you for listening. Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira O'Loughlin and I'm joined today by Dara Brown and Neve Dunn. On today's show, SE elections are just about to come in. Are Dublin bus drivers choosing not to let students on board? Craig Saban reports on the latest shooting in Clondalkin. The, the Blind Boy podcast was in DC last night. And finally, we'll be having a panel discussion on SE elections around the country and if sex education in Ireland is outdated. But firstly, we have our hourly news bulletin. Good evening, it's five o'clock. I'm Kira O'Loughlin. An Irish man has been found safe and well after disappearing for nearly two months in Malaysia. 32-year-old Stephen Wade from Galway went to Malaysia as a tourist and rented a unit in Kuala Lumpur. Over €19,000 has been raised by the public to fund his search and any medical or accommodation costs that may be needed after he is found. Police in Northern Ireland are investigating after three bodies were found in Newry County Down. It is understood that the deaths are being treated as suspicious. It is also understood they died in a violent way and one line of inquiry is a double murder-suicide. It is also understood that all three were known to each other. Northern Ireland Secretary of State Karen Bradley has apologised for claiming that all deaths at the hands of soldiers during the Troubles were not crimes. Miss Bradley is fighting for her political survival amid a massive backlash, including today in the Dáil. In her statement today, Miss Bradley said, quote, I want to apologise. I am profoundly sorry for the offence and hurt that my words have caused. The language was wrong and even though this may not be my intention, it was deeply insensitive to many of those who lost loved ones. And finally, Jason Byrne and Deirdre O'Kane have been announced as the Grand Marshals for the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin this year. As this year's theme is storytelling, organisers chose the comedic pair for their contributions to Irish comedy and acting, cornerstones of the Irish storytelling tradition. That's all the news for now. Weather is next. The UCD Students' Union has called on Dublin Bus to find a solution 
after recent complaints of buses not stopping at the Belfield campus after dark due to apparent anti-social behaviour. I took to UCD to find out the students' thoughts on the matter. Um, I think it's awful. <laughs> um, I have to get a bus back to the train station and if I miss the train I'm stuck hanging around for ages so uh, it's generally a nightmare when I'm, he- when I'm heading home late. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> like, it does, it has happened to me before. Like, dang it, that one. So we are actually just going to interrupt our last package there because the SE results are about to come in. Um, we have Dara Brown on speakerphone now from the event.
the person you are calling. Sarah. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Newswire. You are with Kira O'Loughlin and Neve Dunn. Um, so that was just our live stream there from the announcements of the SU elections 2019. So we just had in come there, had come in there that Christine Farrell has been elected as your president for uh, the DCU academic year 2019-2020. Olivia Ford is your VP for education and placement. Carl Commons is again your VP for academic affairs. Um, what we had... Ashley Fagan will once again be re-elected as VP for welfare and equality. Um, and Katie Fay will be the VP for Engagement and Development. Um, so we may have more in later um, from the part-time um, officers. Um, however, we are just going to go back to... We are going to go on to Christine's speech now as she is just about to give it live in the SU. Thank you, 
I'm going to be here today. 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 I'm going to be and I just want to say to everyone who wasn't successful in the election today that I've been there three years ago and I'm for reasons back to and I wasn't successful and I know how to feel right now, I know it feels really bad but in a few weeks time you'll be able to look back and think how much of an amazing experience this all was for all of you um, but I know everyone probably wants to go and have drink so I'm going to let you all to do that and I can't wait for next year. Thank you so much. that was Christine Farrell there with her speech for uh, becoming the president of the SU for 2019-2020. So we're just going to go back to a package here from Luke Redmond um, about UCD buses that keep going past students at night time. The UCD Students' Union has called on Dublin Bus to find a solution after recent complaints of buses not stopping at the Belfield campus after dark due to apparent anti-social behaviour. I took to UCD to find out the students' thoughts on the matter. Um, I think it's awful. <laughs> um, I have to get a bus back to the train station and if I miss the train I'm stuck hanging around for ages so uh, it's generally a nightmare when I'm, he when I'm heading home late. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> like it does, it has happened to me before. Like, dang it, that one, they just go straight past if it's past like 10 o'clock at night. I've experienced them not stopping for what I thought was because they were packed, but I didn't think it was antisocial behaviour. Um, I mean, like, it's a bit stingy, but like, I don't know what people are going to be able to do about it. They're just going to rock and stuff, rock and stuff. Uh, it hasn't ever really affected me to be honest. I've gotten a few buses late in the evening going southbound and it's not been an issue for me myself. Well, I'm not usually here after 10, really. So I've never lived on campus, so it doesn't make a massive difference to me, but I imagine it's quite annoying for people who want to head out and stuff. I don't know, we're not students, we're staff. We're gone by five o'clock, so <laughs> I don't know. The brutal killing of Clondalkin native David Lynch has created cause for concern for residents in the West Dublin suburb. Local councillor Francis Higgins believes there should be a dedicated drugs force in the area. Yeah, I mean, it was a horrendous uh, shooting in um, Foxdean at 2 o'clock in the afternoon while children were out playing. Um, I think we could do it a dedicated uh, drugs force uh, with Garda uh, in the Dublin Midwest area. Sadly, we have more shootings in this area than the inner city, so uh, the need is there, unfortunately. And uh, we have a colossal problem at the minute with uh, these revenge shootings and uh, 
gangland crime. So if a lot of people up in Foxteen are living in fear now uh, of retaliation. I spoke on the phone with Chris Kelly, a local man who had this to say. Well, I'm actually disgusted with this latest incident. Um, the fact that they're becoming more frequent, more brazen, that this was done out in broad daylight. Uh, and it's just harder. It's getting harder as a, as a father to try and keep explaining it to my kids about what happened, why it happened. It's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. The community is just sick of it now at this stage. I then interviewed other Clondalkin residents in the area. Yeah, I'm not surprised, to be honest. Um, it's stuff like this is just going on, a regular occurrence at the minute. Like, what's going to happen next? It's going to happen on our front door. It's going to happen with the kids that are in the park. It's just crazy. I'm not surprised at all. One thing that really concerns me as a mother with young children is that it was a half an hour before these kids were meant to leave school for the day and the school was so close. Um, it's just shocking and it makes everybody on edge. Yeah, well, I think it's terrible. Lads. It's uh, definitely going to affect the community around here. I mean, you see this stuff in the papers, but you don't see it close to your own uh, area. So, yeah, really uh, bad and heart goes out to the family. As a community, we're just all completely shocked that this has happened. And so close to our school where our children go, they were due to be finished up half an hour after this murder took place. And our fear is that there's going to be more mindless murders. This is Greg Shaban. Before we jump into the panel discussion, we're just going to give you the latest headlines from the past hour. Tragedy. The bodies of a man, a woman and a teenage girl have been found at an address in Newry this afternoon. The PSNI has begun an investigation. The UK's Northern Ireland Secretary Karen Bradley apologised for the offence she caused when she said that deaths caused by soldiers and police during the Troubles were not crimes. Robert Watt, General Secretary at the Department of Public Expenditure, faced tough questioning over the costs of the National Children's Hospital and for reportedly calling the committee a mob. Gardaí appealed for information in relation to the shooting of Lee Boylan at a junction in Mulhuddert last night. And finally, Oren B star or Kelly has been taken into custody again for failing to pay child support just weeks after he was detained on sex abuse charges. So the Blind Boy podcast was here in DC last night and one point that was made was that sex education in Ireland is shocking and outdated. And has there much been out lately around this topic then? Yeah, I mean, I feel like education um, around sex in general has kind of really came to the forefront in the past maybe two years, kind of definitely the last year. Um, I know since the Belfast rape trial and the rallies that were around that, that this is not consent rally, you know, uh, people really have been calling for a reform of the Irish sex ed system. Um, I think there was a report done there in January um, which most teachers were saying it's just so outdated the way the way the sex education system is and it really is you know contestant of an old Ireland definitely is true like according to their report by the Oireachtas Education Committee which was released in the, at the end of January the current sex education cur- curriculum was introduced in 1999 so we're looking at a 20 year old um, curriculum that has changed and one of the main um, uh, outcomings of the report was that 
current sex, uh, current sex education doesn't have anything inclusive for LGBTQ plus students as well as students with intellectual abilities and it's just it needs to move towards that um, not only that but obviously um, the education system is still a lot of schools are run by the Catholic Church so there's obviously a Catholic ethos running through a lot of schools and therefore sex education wouldn't be as progressive or as fact based as it needs to be as there's still a religious influence over that I think like there has been a kind of realisation that they're really the sex education skills really isn't up to standard or up to date and especially with the introduction of consent workshops in DCU and I know NUIG did research on sex education and consent and everything and um, just from DCU TV news anyways when we were talking to students they said you know they definitely didn't get adequate education in school about consent let alone sex education and I think it's a really big deal well I mean isn't the sex education in Ireland is not you know it's not sex education it's more biology it's this is Mm. this is what happens you know the sperm reaches the eggs and that's how you form a baby it's not about like you know teaching you know uh, children and teenagers you know how to be comfortable in your body and how to know when things are right and wrong and it's like speak up Mm -hmm. and safe sex as well possible like disease like you know like HIV AIDS amongst other things as well as gonorrhea like there's just so many things that the education has failed to address and it needs to be it's just too late when you get to a third level education like the fact that consent classes are primarily taken across third level institutions and there's not that many going on in second level let alone primary it needs to be addressed and uh, revamped to fit the current climate that we're in yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting topic as well to kind of, you know, talk about sexual health and STIs. Um, Ireland is a very strange country, I think, when it comes to people getting tested for STIs. In many other countries, it's so normal. Mm. Whereas here, you know, people are embarrassed. They don't want to say that they get they've gotten tested or, you know, people only get tested here if they're worried whereas in other countries it's like going to the dentist it's like getting mm-hmm. a checkup you yeah. know um i mean something really interesting is you know dcu students union say that they have free sdi testing now in mm-hmm. dcu except it's not necessarily because you have to pay 40 euro to get a blood test with your sdi test mm-hmm. so like getting a blood test like you can't like HIV doesn't come up it, that only comes up in blood tests yeah. so if really it, if a student wants to get a full STI screening in DCU they have to pay 40 euro which is mm-hmm. really expensive exactly and just students just don't have that kind of money and it's just in terms of sex education it also leads into uh, menstrual education because period poverty has become an incredibly topical subject uh, like a study carried out by Plan International Ireland found that one in two of the girls of girls surveyed found that school was not helpful like one in two that's incredibly alarming that girls between age the ages of 12 and 19 just don't find it and, the, and it just needs to be revamped uh, furthermore the survey continued on to say that one in 12 believe that you can't get pregnant if you have sex on your period further one in 13 thought that you can lose your virginity by wearing a, a tampon so there's all these like alarming results that the government need to look at the sex education curriculum and make it fit for purpose so that students are educated at a proper age and it's not until they get like they have to either go online read books or until they get to college that they finally understand 
what a proper sex education is. And like what you said, uh, Kira, as well about the mental aspect of it, how you feel comfortable as well, what, and especially the topic of consent. Yeah, sure. In this report here, it says 50% of Irish girls have experienced issues around affordability of sanitary products, which I think is outrageous. I mean, I, you, or like the education alone, like as you said, like one and two didn't find helpful information about their periods in school. And then, you know, I think the price of sanitary products is also a big factor. That well, it's crazy to think that, you know, for your average pack of tampons that will last you one cycle you're you're talking five euro for ones anyway that are you know tested and you know they're good or whatever um and that's that is a lot of money for for a lot of people and I mean it is like so scary to think how you know uh, more developing countries how they how they get around it every month you know if 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 women in Ireland are struggling, women in other countries are definitely struggling, struggling even more. The, sur- yeah, the survey carried out by Pan International highlights just what you said, Kira. that it's not just we live in a what is deemed progressive, developed society, but if you look at countries further out across the world, 20% of girls in rural India leave school after they get their first period. A further 70% of girls in Malawi miss one to, three, one to two, three school days a month due to menstruation. So it just goes to a broader topic that menstrual education is needed not just in Ireland, but across the world. And that it, it's not only just, as you said, trying to reduce the price, but it's also like to reduce the stigma and people to get educated because it's not just young girls who need to know it. If you're in a monogamous, consensual um, relationship, uh, if you're if it's a heterosexual relationship, even if it's a home, like two girls, you still need to know about like menstrual education. It's just so important if you're it's in it. such a topical thing and I think you know as um blind boy were in the blind boy podcast were in DCU and they had a HIV advocate um Robbie Lawler and they were saying like healthy long conversations about these topics are mm. long overdue and they're really only kind of surfacing in the past two years, as you said, Kira. And it just really needs to be talked about a lot more. And I'm like, it's good that it is being talked about a lot more now. But it's, as they said, long overdue. And still, there le- does need to be a lot more uh, talking and kind of awareness about it. Definitely. Um, so we are just going to take a really quick ad break now, but make sure to stay tu- tuned for our other panel discussion where we'll be talking about SU elections around the country.